Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. What do you say to your wife so she doesn't get upset? If you're attracted to other women, does it mean something's wrong with you or your relationship? And is your relationship something that supports you to have an amazing life? Or is it a cage of rules and limitations? Neil Strauss is here to discuss the cost of dishonesty and what he's learned from his journey through infidelity, sex addiction rehab, open relationships, polyamory, swinging, sex clubs, and now marriage and fatherhood. Uh, many of us are walking around believing it's not safe to be honest with our partner. In fact, it's smart or it's better to withhold information. We think that the truth is going to hurt her. It's going to get you into trouble. It's going to break connection. And then you're going to end up alone. You're going to end up unloved. Something bad's going to happen, basically, if you tell the truth. So we look around and, we, and or we're hanging out with other people that are thinking the same thing and they're doing the same thing. So it just becomes accepted. This is just how things are done. So I've worked with quite a few of these guys that are doing this kind of thing. They're, they're unconscious of just how dishonest they're being. They're constantly wading through and maintaining this level of bullshit in their life. And that creates a high level of anxiety, a high level of tension. And then they go seeking relief through some kind of activity where they can numb out like porn or maybe some other activity that they want to hide from their partner. And this sets up a, a vicious cycle. It really tears a guy apart, tears his relationships apart. Um, it creates this, this this scenario like he's damned if he did you know damned if you do damned if you don't kind of thing. So when I when a guy comes to me and he asks what do I say to her so she doesn't get upset, I know he's avoiding the truth. He's seeking temporary comfort in hopes that he can outrun the consequences of his choices. So today I want to talk about the cost of dishonesty in our relationships, how to stop seeing our relationship as a cage of of rules and limitations, and how to stop seeing our partner or treating our partner like some kind of mother or authority figure. Like, like somebody that she's this person that gives you permission to do the things that you want to do. So I'm excited to have Neil Strauss here. He's the author of The Truth, an uncomfortable book about relationships. Neil, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on the trip. A great, great introduction. It's funny about the last thing you said about seeing our partner as an authority figure because I was reading a story in the news. It was probably a couple years ago, but I just stumbled across it. And uh, so somebody was at home with his wife. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, two masked intruders with guns burst in 
and in front of his wife, kidnapped him. Wow. Uh, and then he showed up at home the next day and said, oh, you know, I, I, they kind of set me free. I'm finally, you know, free. And <laughs> it, was, it was such a horrible ordeal. And they called the police and the police investigated. And it turned out he actually had his friends fake right. stage of fake kidnapping so he could go out for a night and, and party and have fun. Wow. And that, I, that happens, right? That, that's an easier thing than just saying, hey, I'm going to go out with my friends tonight. Right. And, and it was just insane to me because it was like, okay, yeah, like you said, making uh, your partner into an authority figure. It was like, okay, you could have said, hey, I'm going to go out with my friends tonight. And the, your partner or wife could have said no. And you could have said, well, you know what? Uh, I just want to go out. I want to have drinks. I want to stay out late. It's been a while. And, and I'm going to do it anyway and take the consequences of your behavior, whatever they may be, if you want to do it that badly. Right. But it's amazing how how uh, people can create, <laughs> yeah, kind of parentalize yeah. uh, their partner yeah. instead of just, um, and, and, and how they're so uh, uh, afraid of somebody's emotions that they can't control. Yeah, they actually think like there's something bad that's going to happen, some kind of physical, I don't know, we can, we can get into that. It's not rational. I mean, that's the whole thing is we're not dealing with anything that's, that's rational here. Um, and, and I want to I come to the book because the book is so powerful uh, and there, there, your mom plays a big role in that. But before we get to that, you know, you you kick off the book in a in a in a heavy place. Uh, you just uh, cheated on on your girlfriend with her best friend. You, you you revealed that there was a pattern of hiding, withholding information. So you head off to rehab. And I'm curious, does that mean that you did, did were you really a sex addict or a love addict, or are you were you just someone who was struggling with being honest and transparent? You know, it's a good question. I kind of went to rehab uh, with with the idea that uh, it was going to be a crash course in re- in understanding intimacy. <laughs> like I kind of thought, and also I thought that hey, if I wanted sex so badly that I hurt somebody I loved and hurt and lied to somebody I cared about for sex that wasn't even that good anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, then is sex such a powerful force in my life that I'm willing to you know br- uh, break my own moral code and and hurt someone I care about or maybe, and maybe mess up my future just to get it. Yeah. So it was kind of with those ideas that I went there. And also I went with a third idea, which is that, Hey, it, does monogamy really make sense? Maybe, you know, this is my last chance to really learn about intimacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if not, maybe monogamy is just some, uh, you know, institution that in, a, in the ninth century, the Catholic church made into dogma, um, that we're still, uh, that just doesn't make sense in modern society. Right, right. Which is, you know, we'll cut to the, we'll, we'll reveal where you are in your life later in the interview now. But um, but it is powerful, that this idea of, of, well, when you said sex, but I, I can imagine it could be anything. It could be sugar. It could be anything that, that has that driving allure. What was the sex for you when you said, if I'm willing to break my own moral code for this thing, was it really the sex? If it wasn't that great, then what was it? Yeah, I think I think for me, uh, it was just hard to say no to to sex. Like if uh, it was just hard to say no to a you know a sexual opportunity, it hard mm-hmm. hard not to take a sexual opportunity. And I mean, the way I rationalized it was it was variety, and the guy needs variety, and variety makes sense. And and uh, and so I, there were definitely many kind of evolutionary and psychological justifications for it. But but for me, it was just uh, and probably on a deep level, for sure, like validation. You yeah, know, there's something in the game that I really think a lot of the game was a book about male insecurity and um, healing self-esteem in the shallowest way possible, which is if this 
beautiful woman's willing to be naked with me, then maybe I'm okay. I must be worth something if she's willing to allow me to be in her body. Right. And that, and that, and, that, and that's a drug addiction in itself because yeah. then you'd have to probably keep experiencing that to keep feeling okay with yourself. Okay. So you went you went to to sex rehab to in service of of exploring these questions to learn about intimacy. Then you went the other direction. You you explored tantra, you did uh sex clubs, you explored swingers or I guess they call it the lifestyle polyamory. You lived in a house with multiple women having sex with, you know, they were sex partners. So what were you seeking to find there? What was what was that in service of? My intention, as wrong as it was, I really thought I was going to sort of. I wanted to find I don't, uh, a guy a guy named Reed Mahalko, who's a sort of alt sex educator, um, has uh, this saying, um, you know, find your own species. I think that's a saying, mm-hmm. uh, and and the idea being, and and uh, I thought the idea being that some people theorize that the way that people are straight or gay or bisexual, um, that the same goes for sexual work. We're monogamous or non-monogamous in the non-monogamy umbrella, are we open relationship or polyamorous or, uh, maybe abstinence and other options. So, mm-hmm. so the idea that maybe, uh, maybe I'm just not naturally monogamous, but doing it because it's the model that the culture has set forth for me, yeah. uh, in every movie and, you know, book and everything else. So I kind of wanted to say, Hey, maybe there's another relationship out here that gives me everything I want. That gives me, uh, love connection and intimacy, but also gives me, uh, you know, freedom and doesn't close doors on, on options and possibilities. And you can still have that, what they call, uh, strange ass is a term. I think so. That's the technical term. Yeah. Strange ass, the technical (laughs) term, which is like, you just sometimes just, you want some strange ass, or there's also another term, new relationship energy that, that excitement of when you start a new relationship Mm. with someone, you're sort of smitten head, head over heels. So can I still have love connection, intimacy and honesty yet have some strange ass and new relationship energy. Got it. And was this, did you get a sense that you were running away from anything at this, at this particular time? You know, we could be running towards something. We can be seeking that new experience. I want to feel alive. I want to make the most of my life and that can look healthy. And then there's, there's times where we're running away from stuff. What was, what was going on for you? Uh, the great thing about writing a book is that you get to see yourself from the outside once you start writing it down on paper. Mm-hmm. So at the time I thought I was running too. Uh, but in retrospect, in reading uh, my rationalizations for my own decisions, I was definitely running away. And, and your mom features prominently in the book. There's a lot about your past in there. Was that what you were running away from? Yes. There's, so there's a, a fascinating, and, and I think this will resonate with a certain amount of people, so don't think about my life as I say this. Think about your own. But there's a fascinating Archi- uh, sort of relationship, let's say, archetype or pattern, and 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 the overall idea is that, as one one of the sort of mentors I have in the in the book told me, she said, um, "Oh, show me your relationship with your opposite sex parent or same sex if you're attracted to the same sex. Show me the relationship with that parent, and I'll tell you what your relationships are like today." Hmm. And the overall idea is that, you know, you're the entire architecture of your brain is being built in your first years of life and how you bond with that particular caregiver really will uh, 
sort of create a template for love and also how you see love modeled in your parents, but right. more so how, how you, how you bond with that. The parent of the same sex creates this sort of template for your, uh, that you go out and then look for later in life. And it answers some of the questions like, well, I was super attracted to that person. Uh, but then after we had sex, I wasn't so into them. And then I was super sort of not so attracted to that person, but after connecting with them, getting to know them better, I'm like obsessed with them. And why is that? You know, why, why, why am I to have chemistry with one person, not chemistry with someone else? Um, and, uh, and it answers those questions because they're elements of our caregivers we're seeing in them. Got it. So, so the overall idea is um and sometimes or the opposite but it's all related to the caregiver um but the overall idea in, in my case was we're really familiar in our culture with the idea of abandonment which is you know a parent not being there for you but what we talk about less is the uh, is the opposite abandonment which is you know enmeshment or engulfment mm -hmm. and the idea of the parent is uh is is psychologically overwhelming for you. I and mean, people are not always aware of how this happens. I'll give a couple quick examples. So enmeshment can be if you have to be, basically it's whenever um, you're, you're taking care of your parents, a parent's needs instead of them taking care of yours. Mm. So, so simply if mom is full of anxiety all the time and always worried about you, uh, you're really coming home so she's not worried. You're not coming home because she's setting appropriate boundaries for you that you can then, you know, take off into adulthood. Right. Uh, if part of adolescence, and I think this happened a lot of the guys in the game, for sure myself, is that in adolescence, a child is supposed to separate, begins the separation process. That's right. why adolescents are rebellious. It's the nature's way of creating separation. Right. And if a parent's clinging to you while you're separating instead of helping you separate with a uh, with esteem for yourself and, and try to hold on and resist and say you're defying the family. And, you know, this happens a lot with, uh, I have a lot of different nationalities, different kind of communities too. They, the parents cling more tightly. So if the parents are clinging to you and they want you to sort of not be yourself, but not bring shame or embarrassment to the family or only, you know, do right. what good people do or, or whatever it is, um, you know, I definitely are disapproving of your life. Anyway, if they don't allow you to separate with esteem, that creates this sort of psychic wound. Other examples are, maybe your parents divorce and they put you in the middle of it and you have to choose between mom and dad and, and that's all about them. It's not about, it's not about you. Right. It's just two loving parents whether they're together or apart. Right. Uh, or another example is I, I write for Rolling Stone. I remember interviewing Jay Leno and talking about comedy and he was saying that he, his mom was always depressed and this is true of a lot of comedians. His mom was depressed and he was always trying to cheer her up. Right. Uh, and so if you have a depressed parent who you're trying to make happy, uh, so basically the overall idea is if you, or a parent who says they only live through you, uh, but any time, say, you feel sorry for, if you're feeling sorry for a parent at some point, that's a sign that enmeshment occurred. It's, it's so powerful because I don't think that we draw the, like, we can get the thing of like, okay, well, my parents really care about me. Look how, look how they're in my life or look how my mom is in my life. Um, and maybe we don't draw the dots to how this impacts us with our sexual partner. It seems like there's a divide there. Well, that's not, that's not my mom. This is, this is the person I'm having sex with. This is the person I have these, these other experiences with. Um, I love the way that you're kind of drawing this picture out and say, look, this isn't quite the healthy way to do that. And it, it, it doesn't allow the guy to figure out the, how do I want to show up? What's the relationship I want to create? It seems like this is what I just do. And, and it starts to develop that pattern that we talked about just a few minutes ago, which was here, my partner is this authority figure in my life. I don't know how to get yeah. out from underneath it because I never did that as a teen. If, if you don't know 
why you're doing what you're doing, then you're living in an unconscious life. And as the psychotherapist James Hollis says, and I use this quote in the book because I love it, what we do not know controls us. So there's a reason for everything you're doing, these and and because you were programmed, you know, by your early experiences, and there there are there are reasons for this. And and as you just said, and we can talk about it now, is how so okay, we just described this pattern, but how does it affect your your relationships? And and it's easy, it's hard to see yourself because unless you experience often unless you experience some sort of abuse that's you know commonly thought of as 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 abuse, um, it's hard to see your any of our upbringing is anything but normal because, well, we lived with it with first, you know, 17, 18 years. Right. So it, it seems normal to us because that's, that's what we experienced. But it sometimes it takes someone from the outside to point out the patterns. Right. Right. That exactly. you don't see. I mean, I really thought till I actually went, I actually thought I was normal and I just wrote books about the crazy people and I was a normal person observing them. And this is probably <laughs> the first book where I realized, you know, I was just as crazy as everyone. And, and so was everybody. Right. Everybody's got some some version of this somewhere in there. We've got something that we right. got, yeah. And and if you're listening and you're thinking, because this goes to maybe five percent of your audience, you're thinking, not my parents. My parents are great. Uh, if you're idealizing your parents, that's usually the worst stuff. Um, so just be careful if you're thinking my parents are great. My parents, are, especially if you use the word perfect in your head, because mm-hmm. nobody's perfect. You know, the the only person who's perfect in sort of a mythological sense is. Is is a deity, right? And and often when when someone's uh, trying to sort of defend their parents, um, it's because either a a parent set themselves up as God in the sense that they were always right, you know, right? Or or that somehow betraying the family family uh, or betraying your parents was such a sin because you owe them life, which again is setting up in a God context, yeah. you know, that you can't that 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 saying anything negative about a parent is betraying the family. But yeah. you said that you said at the top of this call that it's about being honest, and part of the honesty is being honest with yourself. Right. And it's not about blaming parents, but it's about actually understanding yourself and just seeing it as a movie. Yeah. What what causes had what effects on you, and there's no blame because guess what? We're all adults listening to this show, and we're all responsible for uh, changing and and improving. Just because we were were born with a certain template, or born to certain parents, or had certain parent patterns of upbringing. There's fortunately neuroplasticity and we can change. Well, I like that you're bringing it back to personal responsibility because there are people that create a story, you know, they they come up, they're wound worshippers essentially. Oh, well, my parents were this way, therefore I'm fucked up and, you know, I'm a victim, basically. They're powerless to do anything about it. But without this awareness, it's not that we're sticking our head in the sand, it's just calling it what it is. Okay, this was my upbringing, this is how I was impacted by it. Now, how do I want to respond? How do I want to move forward because I'm educated. Now I've got a, a, a better perspective on how things are, but it's not about living in this way of like, okay, I just walk around condemning my parents or putting them up on a pedestal, but what is it that I want to do? I don't need to hide anything from myself any longer. Right. What we're saying is you can't repair a car if you don't know how the engine works. Right. Right. Got it. Has your mom read the book? I mean, what's, what's, has there been any fallout from your folks? Uh, it's interesting. I think there was just uh so let's see. So, the it was it's been in, it's so it's just strange but it's it's very strange so I don't know if they've read it or not I definitely know that um that we're kind of we're yeah no we're kind of it's so it's almost like just not discussed it's just like the elephant in the room like all <laughs> right. like all the problems like all the problems for a while well here's what's interesting they didn't speak to me but not necessarily because of the book okay um what happened was that um. 
that where we're going with this talk about enmeshment is it creates a relationship pattern. And the relationship pattern is that uh, you become what's known as like a um, avoidant. You're, you can become avoidant in, in relationships. And it doesn't mean that you – there are some people uh, in a small minority who avoid relationships altogether. But what's much more common is wanting to be in a relationship, wanting love, wanting to, to connect, whether it's now or at some point. And then as soon as someone really falls in love with you, uh, you start to experience love as neediness. Mm. And also you'll tend to pick a pretty needy person as well mm -hmm. um, who was abandoned on their, uh, by, their, by their father. Um, not, it doesn't have to be materially abandoned. It could be emotionally abandoned or right. a father not present. Uh, father, dad's always working hard and not there for them. It doesn't have to be a father who just left them. Right. Anyway, you'll experience love as neediness. So when someone loves you, you just feel like it's almost like mom again. She like drained and sucked your energy and you were trapped in her rules or emotions or right. um, depression or anxiety or, or um, you know, uh, um, emotional uh, support, whatever it may be. And then you'll just start to withdraw, like suddenly you'll find that person less interesting and uh, they'll be sort of overwhelming and you'll start to, like you said at the top of the show, either maybe start to have a secret life or need some intensity outside the relationship or start to sabotage it. Mm -hmm. And as you do that, or you withdraw, or even just withdraw a little bit psychically, like maybe they just touch you, you just want a little space sometimes. Yeah. As you do that, of course, you'll just, they'll be like, what's happening with that guy? What's going on? And they'll start to get more needy and you'll withdraw more and you'll right. get in this whole cycle. And, uh, and, and so this great relationship that began so wonderfully in the courtship period now becomes sort of, uh, you know, torture for both of you. And so you were breaking that pattern. I think I was asking you about your parents. Your, yeah, so, your so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so with that as, as context and the different, and so what would happen with me is every Sunday I'd, you know, I call my mom, no matter what on Sundays and on Sundays, she'd often complain about my father, you know, your father's the jerk and this and that, and all this horrible stuff about your father, which really doesn't make me want to get married and think, you know, that's what marriage is like. So <laughs> right. I, I would do that. I, I started sort of having those calls are almost like, um, you know, reinforcing the, the wound, you're still living in a, you're still sort of being enmeshed even as an adult. Right. Um, and so I had to create a boundary or sort of a, you know, cut off, you know, not talk about that stuff with my mom anymore, not be there to, uh, have her complain about my father anymore. And, and by cutting that, by actually cutting that, she, you know, didn't want to speak to me for a while. Got it. Got it. Which yeah. is interesting. It showed you what uh, what your um, role was in her life. You know, well, if you're not there for to emotionally support me in my troubled marriage, then what good are you? Right. right. The interesting thing about enmeshment is this: where abandonment feels bad. You know, you feel worthless. You feel shitty. And on a psychological level, because before the age of say eight or seven, the world revolves around us. Uh, it's like, what's wrong with me that dad or mom left left me or isn't there for me? What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. um, enmeshment feels good it feels as the writer pia melody who some of these ideas uh, about love avoidance and love addiction came from she says um uh that it's falsely empowering you know so it feels good oh mom's confiding her secrets in right. here she only lives for us she must really love us so right. it's a trickier one to identify because it's falsely empowering it actually feels good at the time even though it's robbing you of your childhood you're probably not going to challenge it you're not going to be like you know if this feels good it must be good so you know i'm not going to challenge it Right. I mean, heroin feels good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about leaking energy with other women or porn. That's the, in, in a lot of guys that I know when they when they're when they're doing this, they're they're escaping some form of anxiety. Um, you talked about cutting things. You you talked about breaking patterns. You went on a break 
uh, Anadonia, is that correct? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay, so you cut out porn. You had all these restrictions on internet and phone you on phone use. So, what was it? What was going on there? Why were you doing that? How did it help you? Sure. Yeah, I think I think I think what I realized that that it's whole that a lot of the journey was a running from and not a running to, and that for sure after all the relationships you described earlier in the show and the wild, uh, the wild times that. I sort of like need to do a re like for for a, I mean it needed almost detox to like yeah. reset my brain's you know dopamine <laughs> receptors to expect just a little bit less uh, intensity pleasure and stimulation and, and also to sort of do the most important thing which is if you want to have a great relationship the most important thing to work on is your relationship with yourself right because a you can't control the other person and b your relationship is actually not about the other person. It's about how you see the other person. You know, when I was all enmeshed uh, and really sort of in the, in the thick of it before I did the sort of, uh, some of the healing stuff and the, and the psychological stuff and, and setting the boundaries, I really saw Ingrid, who was my girlfriend at the beginning of the book, I really saw her as, um, you know, uh, overbearing and overwhelming and uh, uh, too critical and, you know, i.e. mom, uh, mm-hmm. and, and now she can do the same things and I can see them as coming from a place of love and like fun and caring. And it's this exact same things, all the changes of the way I saw them. Wow. I, I love that piece. It's not about the other person. It's about how you see the other person. Everything's a, how we're perceiving the world. So you cut all this stuff off just so you could get a better sense of how you see the world. But, um, but it's, it's really just honing in on that relationship with yourself. If you're not doing all this shit, you actually get to be with yourself. You actually get to have your own experience. Yeah, and you get to understand and know yourself and like be res- and be responsible for your side of, of, uh, of um, the argument versus resentment. So resentment, uh, you know, there's a great quote, like, you know, resentment is like taking poison, hoping that someone else will die. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, but resent, you know, because resentment is the big, if you have resentment in your relationship, then you know, you're not communicating or holding in stuff. Um, and, uh, and, um, and that's what often what made lead to the acting out stuff you talked about. When yeah. you, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with pornography. There's nothing wrong with, uh, a lot of sex. There's not, as long as it's something you enjoy and it's for pleasure, it's not, uh, you know, medicating yourself so you're not feeling a certain emotion or trying to disconnect or self-soothe or something. You know, it's interesting. I I went through a period, I think it was almost a year where this was before the internet. I'm dating myself here, but uh, right. you know, it was, it was, I, I, I couldn't even watch TV. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything for basically, I didn't date. Um, it just felt like the natural thing to do. I just recognized where I was feeling drained by so much of the other of that pattern. Once it become, once I was becoming aware of the pattern that I was doing that to run away from the grief in my life, it just became exhausting. And and it was that thing that I'd always been running away from, which was my own experience. Can I be alone with myself? And I don't know how many people like the if I I when I start to dig into their story, they have this period. There is some version of this where they strip the stuff away and they develop that relationship with self. That becomes the fundamental, this foundational piece, because you're right. If you can't relate with yourself with integrity, how are you going to, how are you going to relate with other people? If you're not in touch with your own experience, who, who is this person that you want to connect with? How, who are they relating to? It's just a facade. There's nobody home. And, and, um, I, I just, I'm glad that I saw that in this book here, that you weren't going to necessarily find all the answers and all this, what other people said. It ultimately, it was going to be about stop avoiding yourself. Yeah. There's a great line. One of my mentors in the book said, which is, um, uh, only when you can be alone without loneliness, are you ready for a relationship? 
Right. And and the second part of what you said is it's one thing you, it's it's good to sort of kind of hit a reset point like uh, you know like turning off your computer and then turning it back on so it can run quicker. Mm. Um, but also you also want to sort of uh, start working on the dysfunctional patterns so to do some sort of deeper work. So I think if I if I just solely took the time off. I think it's good. I can come in fresh and clear-headed. I can kind of reset my, say, pleasure points and and uh, and and know myself a little better. But the other part was, I sort of looked at the enmeshment we were talking about, or looked, and it could be for anything. You don't right. might not have that pattern. Maybe you're uh, opposite. Maybe you're abandoned by mom, and then you get really needy in relationships, and you you know fall in love with people who are unavailable. Uh, so you might have the opposite. Uh, so, but you can look at say what. I'll call like your core issues, your core issues. uh, Another common thing for for a lot of people who um, uh, at least read read, read my books is they had a critical parent, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and, and what happens, you start to internalize a critical parent, you're always kind of hard on yourself and nothing's ever good enough. Yeah. Uh, So you can choose any core issue, any of these core issues you have. And in that time off, attack it you know, like it's a cancer and you're just zapping everything at that cancer to try to, you know, reduce it and eventually have it disappear. Um, and, um, I'm not sure if it ever disappears, but it gets small enough that you can, uh, not be say, say a victim of or or controlled by it. Yeah. So, uh, and so that's what I did. I said, okay, I've got this, uh, this wound here and, um, or this cancer here, and I'm going to just keep whatever therapy is available, whatever books are available, whatever, you know, listen to your podcast, whatever podcasts are available, uh, whatever, um, anything I can do to, uh, to attack it on every front, I'll do it, you know, psychological, spiritual, physical, whatever it takes, um, till I have it, uh, reduced to a point where it's not controlling me or it's not a major thing. If, uh, you know, if, for example, if I'm self-critical, then right away I realize, oh, wait, that's why am I even saying that? That's stupid. That's my mom or dad talking. I'm, I'm fine as I am. And whatever I did was with the best of intentions and, uh, the best I could. Right. Well, where does the guy start? If, if a guy's listening to this and he's starting to see himself and some of the things we're talking about here, or he's just really tired of being dishonest, obviously, you know, if you listen to the new man or some of this stuff, like you, you just, you can't hold up the mirror to yourself without very long without starting to see some of the places where you're not honest with yourself and therefore not honest with other people. I mean, does he need to go to rehab or do some of these crazy things to start to work on this? What's really going to help him out? What's the first step? Right. Yeah. I think it's a good, it's a good question. By the way, I think a lot of people think they're honest with themselves, but I would first of all, give uh, listeners the challenge of for the next week to be aware of any time they tell something that's not 100% truth either withholding something they know they should say or just saying something that's not honest, like, oh, hey, I'm running late because traffic's so bad. Just notice it, uh, because we all feel like we're honest on an integral level, but that's often something we'll kind of deceive ourselves or compartmentalize so that we uh, can go on living with our, with ourselves. Right. But you'll, you'll be surprised. I think, I forget what the, there's some statistic, like the average person tells five lies a day or something like that. That's mm-hmm. insane. Um, so really start, you got to, so the first, so first step, I'd say is self-awareness become really, really self-aware. And you can do that. You can start to do that on your own. So it could simply be as much as at the end of the day, having a, a journal where you're, you know, really looking at, hey, where was I dishonest? Where did I kind of express fear? Uh, you know, and, and, and looking at this stuff at the end of the day. Um, but I think, and then part two is I would, and I'm trying to think of them like the most affordable way. I can recommend some workshops that are really great, but they're in the thousands of dollars, but I highly recommend them if people can do them, I'll recommend them. 
but it doesn't, it's not the only way to do it. Uh, the second thing I would do is honestly like get together a group of like-minded people um, and once a week start talking about what's going on in your lives. And what's nice about sort of ad hoc group therapy, if you have the money for it and you could all pitch in, get like one therapist just to be there with you and your five people are really going to talk in a vulnerable, safe way. Um, and people can point out your patterns. And what I love about group therapy is, or any kind of group encounter like this, is if you're with one person, you can say, I just disagree with you. If they point out, hey, dude, you're, 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 um, you're saying you're in love with that person, but you're like being really selfish or something, or whatever it may be, you can say, I disagree with you. But when f four other people say it, you kind of got to think, well, maybe they're seeing something I'm right. not. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so one would be sort of get, in, get, get around people who can give you sort of honest feedback about yourself. There's a few workshops that I highly recommend. I'll mention them. Is it worth, uh, I'll mention them? Sure, please. Cool. Uh, one is, uh, let's see. There's a, uh, there's a guy who wrote a book called Silently Seduced named Kenneth Adams, and he has workshops specifically for enmeshed men, Kenneth Adams. Uh, two is, there's a place called The Meadows, and they have a one-week program called Survivor's Program. And, uh, and uh, it's just a one-week thing where you really confront your childhood, uh, recognize and confront your childhood demons. and like It's like an exorcism. Uh, wow. And similarly, in the same way, uh, two other places also do it, a place called Pine Grove. They have the same uh, kinds of programs, uh, especially uh, they have some that are just specifically focused on the if it's porn is an issue or sex is more of an issue, and they have other ones that are focused on relationships place called the refuge is for trauma healing. Uh, and, and people will find that, that you really only know a tip of the iceberg of your, of yourself. I find a lot of people who experience sort of a trauma, maybe they were, you know, um, sexually abused by someone often don't, a couple things happen. One is as big of a wound as the abuse is often a parent or, or both parents, uh, defended the abuser, you know, maybe didn't believe your story or mm -hmm. still had that relative around at holidays after they violated you. And it's like the ultimate betrayal. Not only did you take away my, um, my innocence and my trust, but now you also, now my parents have been taken away, my mm -hmm. family, no one. Uh, so, uh, and then also too, probably even if that never happened, there were other wounds around that that are separate from, from that, that, so there's a, that we can often look at one trauma and that, becomes the source of all our problems, but there are also other patterns in our upbringing that we're often not thinking of. So all these things can help you see yourself more clearly. So the refuge was another place. There's something I haven't done, but I'm doing uh, next month that I hear is really similar to these things called the Hoffman process. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then I, because I'm super into this stuff, uh, I have a group called the society and I started bringing therapists and people I worked with and doing what I call like a deep inner game workshop, which is the same stuff as the other things I'm talking about. So um, like they're all resources. And I honestly think that once in your life, you have to go through one of these processes is almost like a, a ritual. We don't have rituals in our culture and, hmm. you know, in tribal rituals, they maybe kidnap the kids in the night as part of the ritual and, you know, and separate forcibly separate them from their parents. And mm -hmm. I think this is a way of sort of letting go of the past so you can move on to the future. And so, you know, whatever way you do it, I think someone should do it once. And if you have to save up, just put a hundred dollars aside, you know, uh, you know, a, a month, uh, or a hundred dollars right. aside, you know, just put a hundred dollars aside a month or something and eventually you can do it. But I really recommend everybody at once. I think that, uh, I'm really glad that you brought up, uh, brought this up and, and the value of working with other people, because when things are usually tough, that's when guys isolate, that's when they go away. Right. They want to hide out. 
you had a mentor throughout this story. You had uh, you kept you maintained contact with a, with a group of guys that went through this process with you. Um, and and I want to throw out there, like for the guy out there that's telling himself he's not going to go do a program. I just want to lean on him and say, you don't have to do a program, but get with some other guys and start having this conversation. There's nothing more healing. And I don't know, like nothing in your life has to change. But when you hear that three or four other guys are going through the same thing, like 80% of the anxiety just lifts right off. It just feels good. Like, okay, I'm not the only one. Um, and you don't have to have it all figured out. But what, what if you were to set aside one day every two weeks where you weren't going to talk about football and you weren't going to talk about all this other shit, but you were going to talk about the stuff that actually matters, the stuff that you would talk about, you know, if you were going to stand up at the guy's funeral, get into that conversation, what really matters, what really makes a difference. Um, I, a group like that changed my life early on years ago. I didn't know what I was doing. We didn't, none of us knew what we were doing. We weren't trained in any way. Um, but that had the, knowing I was going to show up every two weeks to that group and those guys were going to call me on my shit. Like I just, I took action. I made, I made much different choices. That self-awareness you were talking about that became, that just was raised so much because I knew I was going to show up and I was going to report what happened. So, um, yeah, get out there. Even if you don't have something all figured out, just try, just, just yeah. lean into it. And, and what, and what you guys can do is actually read a book together and discuss it. And that might be a way to do it. I can recommend a few books to start with. If that's yeah, go ahead. Help helpful. Um, let's see. So and then by the way, so yeah, and those. So I I do uh, silently seduced by Kenneth Adams is the kind of classic on enmeshment. Um, Pia Melody, uh, either facing love addiction or facing codependence. Uh, James Hollis under Saturn's shadow. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, there's a great great book, new book by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. V-A-N-D-E-R-K-O-L-K, called The Body Keeps the Score. And uh, I think those are a few good uh, places to start. Yeah. I remember when I started my group, I, I didn't know anything else. I just, I just went and got Way the Superior Man. I think I bought 20 copies of <laughs> David Data's Way the Superior Man. I handed them out. Several guys never talked to me again. <laughs> you know, it was right. like, and, uh, but, you know, that's where we started. We just pick a chapter and, and talk about it. And what are you going to do this week? And, and not, but yeah, if you want to go more of the therapeutic uh, route, you know, the healing route, I'm glad you brought those. Or those choose anything or, or do, and again, not to promote my own book, it's been out for a few months and it's fine, but. I think the truth is an easier read because it's a story and relatable yeah. versus sort of like a, I, I don't know, I tend to read nonfiction really slowly and sometimes it feels like a chore. Yeah. And so I try to make at least the stuff I write like, you know, a story you can't put down. Yours first. is definitely a page turner for sure. Um, let's, I, I want to bring up something. You know, at one point I felt really guilty about feeling attraction for other women. Um, I thought there was something wrong with me or there must have been something wrong with my marriage. And and it weighed on me heavily until I talked it out with my wife. Um, and if you're, if you guys are listening to this, you can go and hear the interviews I've done with her and how we, how we work through all that stuff. So, but if this guy's out there and he's feeling attraction for other women, uh, and he's carrying around these ideas, does it mean he's a shitty boyfriend or does it mean he's a shitty husband? <laughs> I, think, I think it means you're a human being. <laughs> uh, it's not like, uh, you know, I remember, uh, I, I interviewed this guy in the mafia once and, uh, and I was going through all this. He goes, he goes, Neil. You get older, but your eyes never get older. <laughs> and uh, and uh, um, I'll, by the way, since we've been very like PC, PC, I'll say I'll tell me what I'll tell I'll tell you what his advice was on, on women, which, yeah. which I don't, which I don't recommend. But but he, he recommends it. Uh, he said, what "You got to do Neil is you know you got to get get a you got to get her to have sex with another guy for you. When, <laughs> once you do that, you own her forever." She will never be unfaithful. 
Um, I've never tested this, but he, was, he said it with a lot of confidence. <laughs> What's his book, Neil? Where, where do we read his book? Where, where's his uh, program? Oh, oh, you know what? You know what? You're, you're, it's funny. His book, um, I thought his stories were so great, so I hooked him up with a writer, and, uh, and the writer finished the book. He passed away. Um, but his, uh, but the writer finished the book. So, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you know, I'll let you know when that one's out. <laughs> um, but, um, so yeah, so I didn't, I, I didn't take his advice. How, what were you talking about? We were oh, yeah, talking, we're, yeah. Is he got a shitty about, boyfriend, honesty, a husband? Honesty, yeah. Honesty, yeah. Yeah. Honesty. So, um, but there's a difference now between you sort of like finding other people attractive and say being compulsive about it. So the first thing is if you're compulsive about it, like compulsively fantasizing about that person or you're you know, trying to kind of, uh, you know, stay in touch with that person or start, you know, find them online or something. So yeah. first of all, let's make sure you're not being compulsive about it, but you just see other people, you find them attractive, or you're attracted to other people. Uh, that's cool. And I found that for myself, um, even though I could never could have done it before by sort of, uh, opening up a dialogue about it with my wife, um, and her being, first of all, very confident in our relationship and secure in it. And us working on our own issues, uh, we were able. I was able not to have shame about it. We can just discuss it if we want to discuss it. Well, that's um, the thing, right? Is that the foundation is there? When 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 she doesn't know what's going on, then it's like she gets to create the monster under the bed or the monster in the closet. Like it's much worse than it is. We start. We've broken connection there. But when we put it on the table and say, "Hey, here's what's going on," there might be a little dust up in that moment. But okay, that's it. Now we're working on it. This is what's actually happening. Yep. Yep. And, and there's, it is an interesting thought and, 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 uh, and by the way, there's nothing I'm saying or nothing in my book that sort of says monogamy is the way to go or non-monogamy is, 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 is the way to go. It's about having a healthy relationship. And in non-monogamy, uh, if you, that the idea is there are a lot of guys who say, you know what, I can't be faithful. So I'm just going to be in an open relationship. That's the unhealthy way to do it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, right. uh, in other words, if you're enmeshed and you just think, okay, I'm just not going to be in an exclusive relationship. So I don't cheat. That's just, a recipe for disaster. Right. Uh, if you really want to have a healthy non-monogamous relationship, there's an idea that your partner has to have an abundance of you so that there's, uh, that it's okay to share more because she mm. has an abundance of you, mm -hmm. uh, a great, a close emotional life, uh, you know, a great sex life. Uh, and I, and when she has an abundance of you, uh, then there's, you know, more to go around. And the abundance um, doesn't mean necessarily time. I think a lot of guys put their time in like, and they martyr themselves like, Oh, I got to spend the whole weekend, but it's quality. It's being present. It's actually being connected instead of being in the same room, but stuck in your phone or, you know, looking at the TV, it's, it's that quality of that connection and what, what's really going on there. And, uh, I just want to drill that home because I think a lot of guys think that it's about quantity of time and not quality. Yep. Yep. No, that, that, that's a great point though. That it's very easy for people to be alone together. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, it was right after my wife and I got married, we were in Hawaii and we, we told each other that we knew we anticipated we were going to freak out. We just knew we were going to freak out after we got married and there was going to be some like big clap, you know, the expansion and then the contraction. And she and I were at this, this beach and these enjoying ourselves and these two beautiful girls come down and on the beach and they put their blanket, a, a, you know, a few yards away. And it's just us. Like there's really no one else out on the beach. And these two girls start undoing their tops and they're laughing and playing. And I'm like, I'm watching this scene out of a fucking porn happen in front of me. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so cruel. I just got married and I started to create this story and this resentment and all this stuff. And I said, Oh, 
I could be honest right now. And I just told my wife, I was like, I, I got to be honest. Like, I'm freaking out. I'm watching these women over here. And, and I, I'm just thinking I just slammed the door on, on anything fun in my life ever happening again. She said, you're free. Go. And I realized in that moment, <laughs> it wasn't going to go over there because I wasn't, because I was married. I wasn't going to go over there because these women didn't want anything to do with me. Um, right. But yeah, I was going to make up the story in your head. Right? Yeah. But I was making her the bad guy. I was, and she, I, you know, thankful my wife just refused to play the villain at all. It's like, nope, you're free to go. There's consequences, but you're free to go and do whatever you want. And it just, I just remember so much steam being let off there. And, and I, you know, instead of walking around for weeks or starting this marriage off on this foot of like, this bitch doesn't let me do what I want or, you know, because of her, I can't do this and that. Uh, what a great lesson right off the bat that um, it was my choice. I could do what I want. Um, and, and just talk about it. Like, I don't know how to bring this up, but this is what's going on for me. I just want to help that guy that's out there. Like, he's may think he's probably thinking, how do I do this so she doesn't get upset? Well, what if you just try? Just put it out there. I don't know how to do this. I don't want to get you upset, but this is what's really going on for me. Yeah, and a small, by the way, there's a phrase for uh, that called the, the joys of theoretical non-monogamy, which is that there are some couples who are like, well, you can do what you want, but we still stay with, you know, they, the unwritten contract, we stay with each other, you're, you're, you're free, so the feeling free, freedom while not actually taking advantage of it sometimes, uh, sometimes works for, for, for people. It's almost the opposite of don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the caveat to what you said is uh, there are some, so we talked about sort of enmeshment, which also defines itself as a, as a avoidant attachment. The opposite of that is anxious attachment or insecure attachment. So there are some women who I'm sure uh, people who, who've dated have encountered were so insecure in their relationships that, uh, that the idea of you looking at, discussing, thinking about another woman in any sense whatsoever is tantamount to heresy and will be severely quote unquote punished. Right. Right. There's some women who are like that. And, and what I would say in that case is look at the unhealthy part of you that attracted that person. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and B is uh, if they, um, you know, if you just keep healing and working on yourself, you'll see who that person really is. If you can't have that honest discussion or they can't at least recognize that their fear is um, developmental from their own childhood and not say, say logical, uh, it, it might not be the the right partner because again, some people you just can't have that conversation with without them flying off the handle because yeah. they see it as a direct affront to them. See, it's beyond a threat. It's like this is this isn't this is an offense. You've you've actually attacked me now. Um, it occurs for them that way, and 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 I talk to guys like that. That's definitely what's happened in their lives and their their whole thing. I love that you brought it back to the guy taking responsibility for himself because it's like, what do I do to change my wife? Um, and, or how do I kind of, it's like they're dealing with a wild animal and they're afraid to get hurt. You know, they've got to keep them at bay and it's like, this is your partner, you know, but I love that you brought it back to what is it about you that brought this person to your life? How can you be more honest? Um, and get some help, get some help with dealing with that. Um, trying to figure this out on your own is, is tough. No one's saying you got to figure it out on your own. So. Yeah. And if you don't know how to put it in a, yeah, so you can do it with a therapist or someone there where you can put it in a, uh, you know, you can sort of have it in a, in a contained um, safer enclosure. Uh, and yeah, and I think you brought up a great point, which is, yeah, you, one of my biggest lessons was you, you know, you cannot change your partner. If you, you have to accept your partner, you have the choice, you have a choice of accepting your partner as they are or not being with them. Uh, but you can't change them. And in fact, wanting a partner to change is a recipe for resentment and probably hurts, hurts the relationship more than 
whatever your partner's behavior may be, because you expect them to change, you want them to change. They don't. It's hard to change. Um, and uh, and um, and then when they don't change, they don't do that. Then they've let you down. They've disappointed you. God, they're never going to change. And so even that expectation becomes a problem. So so my thought and the thing I always tell people is, you know, accept your partner as they are. And if they change, that's just a bonus. And if you right. can't accept them as, as they are, and really do some thinking on this, and maybe they're not the right person to be with. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. There's so many guys that are out there. They're not. In, they're not. Uh, they're not into who their partner is currently. They see this possibility one day, and and so they're constantly right. sending this message. I don't really like you for who you are, but I see a great possibility here. I'm, I'm in love for who I think. I'm in love with who I think you could be, um, and I'm aiming for that. But th- there's still this. This always this undercurrent of you're not acceptable. I don't love you as you right. are. That's a and shitty it- foundation. Right. And, and a lot of times this person who they want the partner to be is just really about control and not about what's best for the partner. You know, mm. it's sort of like I'll talk to people and this is a common classic avoidant relationship avoidant thing. They'll be in a relationship with someone and be like, uh, but I just want to break up with her because like we can't talk about some of, the, some of the intellectual things I like. A friend of mine just said this, you know, we can't talk about like the books I'm really into and the movies I'm really into. She just doesn't like that stuff. I'm thinking of a new partner. I'm like, wait. Talk about it with one of your other fucking friends. She doesn't have to be a mirror of you. Mm, you know, yeah. talk about it with someone else. She's still fucking awesome. I think she's great. She's super spiritual. She's like really cool for you. Like she's beautiful and and like okay. So there's one thing that you can't talk about her with. Who gives a fuck? You right. know? <laughs> talk about it with your friend and just don't talk about those books with her. You, you got to have other people in your life. And so what we'll find is some way to disqualify them. We'll try to like shape them into sort of an ideal that isn't even who they are. Let them like their. You know, just let it be, man. Yeah. And it's a way to push people away, too, is if we're trying to strive for this perfection or this ideal in our head. It's a a, a convenient way to always find another hoop for them to jump through. Exactly. Uh, I think it's a sort of an unconscious strategy to to, uh, you know, avoid intimacy. Yeah. I'm I'm raising my hand. I pulled that one for years. So, yeah. All right. You got a little boy. Uh, what, what lessons are you hoping he can pull, you know, if you, if you could teach him any of this stuff, I know he's got to go on his own path, but what are you hoping that you can impart to him? I guess my, my real hope is to, to raise him with enough, uh, love and, uh, nurturing and support and forgiveness and setting the right boundaries and allowing him to separate as an adolescent, uh, so that he doesn't need any of this stuff. Mm, so, so, so we'll see. And also, but at the same time, to recognize that you know I'm imperfect, I'm imperfect my wife's imperfect, yeah. and uh, and to own our side of it later uh, versus trying to pretend like you know defend ourselves. I think the worst. I was having um, uh, I mean, there's a uh, actress named Jane Seymour who who's written some books, and I was at her uh, uh, met her, and she we were talking about the subject, and she said, oh, you know, she was saying, you know, my kids came up to me. Uh, or one of my daughters, or I can forget who it was, came up to me and said, hey, you were there, ever there for me, mom. And she goes, and I pulled out my photo album. And I said, look, here's a photo of us <laughs> together in Paris. Here's a photo of us together here. Here's this. How can you say that? And I said, I said, you weren't there for them. They were them again, like what they really wanted you to do was hear and listen and acknowledge their reality, not defend yourself. Hmm. And so I hope that I can sort of own up to, uh, you know, accept their reality of my imperfections yeah. as well. I, I, um, but knowing the stuff that we've been talking about, like has helped me so much, you know, <laughs> as a parent in, in every possible way to recognize that I'm there to serve his needs and he's not there to serve any of my needs whatsoever. And that he's a little sponge and will absorb any kind of energy that's around him. And so what are we modeling for him? Uh, you know, making sure that Ingrid and I's relationship, um, 
uh, is also survives, <laughs> you mm. know, and keeping our, our relationship strong on, on all levels. Yeah. And I think the other thing I was going to add was this, that one of the biggest things I learned from having a child was that I think we were talking earlier about people who defend their parents or say, my parents sacrificed for me. And what I really realized is like, it's not a sacrifice to have a child. It's a joy and a choice you make. Uh, and that, uh, and every, and it's pleasure. Like when I see him in the morning and he smiles and, you know, or I, he cuddles against me and drinks his little bottle and, you know, or does his first steps every it's a, every day is a pleasure and he owes me nothing. Yeah. I love that. It's, uh, what a, what a gift to be able to give him that. Like you owe me nothing. And, 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 uh, and, and, and it's uh, self, and it's a selfish. It's selfish if a parent says you owe them something. It's because they sacrifice for you. It's selfish. Even, you know, I used to think too. All oh, my parents like they clean the shit off of me and all that. And I like honestly, I like changing his diapers. I get to be close to him. You know, yeah. like like so. If your parent is saying that you owe them something because they sacrificed, uh, sorry, you got selfish parents. You owe them nothing. Well, I love that. I love that piece too. I remember I, I grew up, I had some resentment towards my father and I wasn't even really conscious of it, but I remember listening. I can't remember who the guy was that said, it was like, if you're not in jail right now, if you're not being taken care of by the state, your dad did his job, you know, lo- give him a break. And I remember just feeling like, oh, wow. Cause I was holding him up to this other standard. He was supposed to be yeah. all these things. So yeah. Anyway, where we're walking around thinking that life or our parents or somebody else owes us something, it's a really painful place to be. Yeah. If there's anything I'm really taking away from your book and all of this experience is that it's about the relationship you have to yourself, create from that place uh, instead of trying to get it from the world and get it from other people. Yeah, and have the relationship you want with them, not the way the relationship they want. And if you have kind of toxic parents, by the way, I always believe that if somebody does a crime, it'd be great to have a society or a idea that maybe we, we put the parents on trial as well. Maybe people would raise their kids better <laughs> if the parents went on trial as well. Right on. Um, but, uh, but I was going to say that, um, that there are some cases where, I mean, Hey, there's some cases where I would recommend having a relation, you know, have a relationship with your parents with boundaries, you know, if yeah. dad or mom are still critical, uh, just cut it off. Say, Hey, you know, it's not helping me do better. It's actually making me do worse. So I'm not going to, Let's not have this conversation anymore. So either A, have a relationship with your parents with boundaries, but I also believe there's the idea of a family of origin and your family of choice. Hmm. And your family of origin is the family you're born with. The family of choice is the family you choose to have, your your close friends, the people in your group, if you form that little group. Uh, and uh, And I love this idea that you can create whatever family you came from, you can create the family you want. Right. Whatever strengthens you, whatever helps you show up and be more whole. Uh, in your life. Yeah. And the people in your life you meet along the way who are really positive, like-minded companions. Beautiful. Uh, go check it out. It's a great book. It's a great read. Uh, we talked, we went in depth here, a lot of healing stuff, a lot of resources to throw out there. I'm going to put up some links on the site. Um, there's, there's also a ton of information in the book itself, but just go read. It's just a fascinating book. The truth, an uncomfortable book about relationships. Neil Strauss. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for sharing your experiences. And I'm going to go listen to the discussions with your wife now. So I'm going to go enjoy those podcasts. (laughs) Thanks, Trip. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.